All right, we come to God's Word now, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 85 together. Psalm 85. If you're following along in the church Bibles, it's found on page 493. Psalm 85. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins, Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away our indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This is the word of the Lord. How many of us need a bit of reviving? You know, again, um, I asked you earlier, but I hope your 2023 was good. But for some of us, we're glad that 2023 is in the rearview mirror, right? And we're hoping in 2024. What are your plans to make 2024 better? Like, what are you going to do to be revived? Well, I hope that God will grant the desires of your hearts this year because he will honor your commitment to him. But I also want to say that if you are seeking God's favor in this new year, then we cannot neglect this psalm. Okay? Here we're given the steps to take to seek God's favor and experience revival. I need some spiritual reviving, and perhaps you do too. And I think we can all head into the new year with confident hope when we allow this psalm to calibrate our hearts and minds. Intelligent hearts, that's what I said last week, is what we want. May this psalm help us to do that. And, and we need to know that God blesses us towards the new creation. And he will bless us even materially. And it's all for his glory. That's the big idea. God blesses us towards the new creation, even materially, and it's all for his glory. And so with that, looking at this psalm, how can we be revived? Our first point, we're first revived to a right relationship. Verse 1, to the choir master, Psalm of the sons of Korah, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. Okay. The psalmist here, he recognizes that Israel, they are in national distress. And so he identifies the need for help. And so the first step that you want to take in seeking God's favor and blessing is acknowledge God's track record, which is what this first verse is doing for us. God did it in the past. He can do it again. And so that's what the psalmist is reminding us of. You know, if the Lord, if he said that he is the creator, that he made nature, then he should be able to control all of nature, direct nature to bless or to curse. 
and Israel, they really needed the Lord to like literally bless their lands with a miracle. They needed favorable harvest yields. They needed good conditions, like right, the weather, the right soil pH, sufficient nitrogen content to be free of pestilence. I mean, like real specific stuff for growth. They needed a crop, a food supply, so that the nation could be sustained. See, that's why the psalmist could say in verse 12, yes, the Lord will give what is good. Our land will yield its increase. Okay, that's the problem that Israel is in right now and how they are seeking God's favor. So that's the first step. Acknowledge what God has done in the past. Second step to revival. Now, this might seem like it's out of left field, but Israel would seek forgiveness for sin. Look at verse 2. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins, Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. And then third, specifically ask for help. Verse 4. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Here are the steps that we need to take if we want to be revived by God. It's at a national level and even at an individual level. Now, when we're in trouble and we turn to God, what do we typically do? What's the first step that we usually take out of the three steps that have been mentioned here? Usually it's that last step, step three, right, where we just ask God for help. Someone might actually think of step one, think about God's track record. But how many of us would think about doing step two, that, asking for forgiveness? I mean, isn't that strange? You have to wonder what that's about. In fact, it's like, what does forgiveness have to do with revival of the land? That's the question that this psalm kind of raises for us, doesn't it? And could it be that forgiveness unlocks God's material blessings on us? Could forgiveness unlock God's material blessings on us? Now, that, too, should raise some questions for us, like the most obvious one. What do we need to be forgiven for? Right? Were the Israelites, were they being lazy? They were not tending to their fields carefully that would cause a national catastrophe and food shortage? I mean, forgiveness for that? Perhaps. But could it be something a little more significant than that? We'll see. Another question. Is that all we need to do then, right? If we need God's favor, all we have to do is ask for forgiveness and then God will bless us? Just feel bad and God will bless us? Or maybe do a certain thing, do something better, and will God bless us? Is that what it's about? Like, do we just have to do a certain thing, a certain act, and then we'll get what we want from God? I mean, Sounds like God's some kind of cosmic vending machine if we think of him that way, but I don't think we think of him that way, and neither does the psalmist. How are we to understand this, these steps for revival, that forgiveness could actually lead to restoration? And it's, it has to do with this. Forgiveness has to do with reclaiming trust in the tangible reality of the new creation. Forgiveness has to do with reclaiming trust in the tangible reality of the new creation. See, underlying the forgiveness that unlocks material blessings 
It's all about God lifting our sights to his plan to recreate the fallen world. You know the story well. I've told it many times from up front. God's plan of redemption, right? But you might have just thought about that or you might have just heard me and it's like, okay, that's some nice trivia for you. But here is this context that helps us to understand how God's story of redemption actually affects our everyday lives. Okay, what's the story? It started with God who made the world and then mankind rebelled against it, falling into sin. God was going to reclaim a people for himself, for people to get right with him according to his promises, his word, his commands. God specifically reached down to one man with three promises. That was Abraham in Genesis 12. The promises of land, of nationhood, and blessings for the whole world, right? And consistent with those promises, God would command people to trust and live by his word, which was the law and design of all creation. If they failed to live by the law and design of creation, there, was, there were consequences. Disobedience was the imperfect way of living, not reflecting the way that creation was supposed to be lived. It was a path towards death. And most significantly, it brought about God's judgment, which mankind could do nothing about. But God made a way to return to him through sacrifices for sin leading to forgiveness. How did you know that you were forgiven and restored to a right relationship with God? The priest would pronounce the word of forgiveness. You would actually try to live by what you believe, that you did wrong and you want to do right. So you would try to live rightly again. And God backed up his word of reconciliation by offering material blessings of prosperity. See, this is really important now. All of that to get to this really significant point. You know, the forgiveness that we receive from God and the commitment to the new creation living, um, uh, being restored in us, that God was proving all of that to be true by materially blessing his people. Why ask for forgiveness in order to be blessed with revival for the land? Forgiveness restored sight in God and his new creation plan. And the material fortunes of the land allowed people to live and remain in God's story of new creation. What exactly are people being forgiven for then? For not living according to the new creation, but living for the here and now for not believing in God's plan and so living in disobedience to God's commands. This is all kind of like, whoa, what's going on here, right? Let me try to like just try to simplify it as best as I can by having us think about miracles. Basically, a miracle is what the psalmist is asking for with the revival of the land. Now, I'm going to give us two understandings of miracles, and you tell me which one is your understanding of miracles, Okay. The first way to understand miracles is that they are God's supernatural acts um, that override the natural order of things so that people would be convinced to believe in Jesus or even be converted to Jesus. That's what we see in the New Testament a lot, right? That's the first way of understanding what miracles are. The second way of understanding miracles is that they were God's 
supernatural acts that override the natural order of things as a way to help you believe that what he promised about the new creation, that it was real. And we were getting a glimpse of that new creation, which was the miracle that overcame the fallen nature. Which understanding of miracles did you have? The first one or the second one? You know, the problem with the first one was that even when Jesus performed miracles, not everyone believed him. And it wasn't because his miracles weren't effective, but that wasn't the point of the miracle, really. Luke 17, 11, Jesus healed 10 lepers. Only one of them came back to say thank you. The other nine, they just received the material benefit, the healing, but they did not believe. Miracles were not the guaranteed way to help people believe or to convert anyone. They could be a part of it, but that wasn't the main function. What miracles were, were God's way of having people believe that he has the power to overturn this present fallen condition where he would give a little sample of, with the new creation miracle. See, will there be sickness in the new creation? No. And any kind of healing miracle was a glimpse of that future. And so a miracle is not something to help us believe God that he could help make our lives better in this life. No, a miracle is a foretaste of the new creation. And that's what we need revived in all of us. A right understanding of God, what he's doing. That's the only way we'll be able to relate to him rightly and see his glorious future for us. What's the guide for revival? Three basic things so far. State God's work in the past, seek forgiveness, and now we know why, and then make a very clear ask. Now, if the psalmist did all of that, the question might still remain, would he do it again? Would the Lord do it again? That's verse 6. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? The psalmist asks the question, and it could put him and us in an unsettling position. How can we be sure that the Lord is going to do it again? The psalmist would have to wait for an answer. I mean, of course, God could instantly overturn any kind of problem, but he normally works within the parameters of creation. So what would help Israel and the psalmist in that unsettling period of waiting? And that's the fourth thing that we need to do for revival, which is our next point, being revived to a right word. Psalm 85, verse 8. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. See, what's going to satisfy the psalmist as he waits is this word from the Lord. And the word that the psalmist would hear is that the Lord is the Lord, is the Lord of peace. He wants to give a word of peace to his people. You know what that peace is? We may understand and know the Hebrew word, right, of peace, shalom. That is being right with God, right within oneself, right with one another, and right with our creation. When all of life is in perfect harmony like that, do you know what that is? That is new creation. 
The psalmist knows that God is committed to his new creation, remaking this broken world, and it's always been and it always is about shalom peace. God is committed. The question is, would God's people be committed? The Lord would say to his saints in verse 8, let them not turn back to folly. See, what is the folly? It wasn't laziness. What did the people need to be forgiven for? It was far deeper than laziness. True folly was to live for this world and this world alone. Not, true folly was not believing God's promises of a new creation. And so repentance, turning back to God, was turning back to God's vision and trusting obedience. And what that meant was that while the nation waited for the Lord to restore him, what would they do in the wait? Hear the word of the Lord, believe, and obey. That's the fourth step towards revival. Hear the word, start living the way of new creation again in obedience with the full hope and expectation of God's promises coming through. Maybe you know the old illustration that if you want to get someone to build a boat, you could tell them to follow these specific steps, right? Find a tree, cut it down, make sure it's suitable, do the painstaking work of carving out, you know, the cavity, and so on and so on, right? Or you could give them a vision of the vast ocean that they could sail, the places that they could explore, all the things that they could see. Who's going to be the one that puts their heart into the work? See, this desire for shalom peace, the hope of a new creation, that is what gets God's people to trust and obey him more. When we do the hard work of reassessing our hopes and dreams, committing to God and his new creation, you know what the psalmist can be sure about? He tells us in verse 9, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. God's glory dwelling in the land, what does that look like? You know, I want to say it's prosperity. And prosperity can include many tangible benefits. God could easily grant those. But what glory really is, is God's people saying, this is the only way to live. We're committed to living for God. And that, having that lead to a beautiful com community. That is glory in the land. That's revival. It's not surprising that the hallmark feature of like spiritual revivals that take place at a mass level, do you know what the hallmark feature is of revival? We might think, oh, spiritual conversions or um, strange spiritual phenomenon like holy laughter or things like that. But the basic spark for revival is mass confession of sin and repentance. People turning back to God in holy obedience. And you see how that is a supernatural work, right? Because you're getting a whole group of people committed to God's ways and spirit, word, and deed, all living for and headed towards the new creation. Have something like that, people will take notice. And then we get this beautiful image of the Lord's commitment to shalom peace, what is new creation living. It's going to happen because of who God is. Look at verse 10. 
Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. See, that is heaven and earth coming together, the divine and the created in shalom peace, creation restored to newness of life. How does it happen? It is God's steadfast love, his covenant love, his full commitment, no matter what the cost. And what's a love if a love does not show results? And that is the Lord's faithfulness. He will do what he says. See, that commitment is portrayed for us in the inevitable act of two lovers. What do they do? They kiss. They connect with each other in this way because that's what they were meant for, each other, and so it is with God. His righteousness demands that he brings about shalom, peace. Righteousness and peace kiss. So what makes revivals uh, in the land happen? God's faithfulness springing up from the ground before it is any kind of crop or material benefit. And it's because he looks down in righteousness because he said it, he promised it, and so he must do it. He will do it. He wants to do it. And of course, there's a weight involved. A weight is always hard. Maybe people start to waver. You falter, but there's another word to help us in the wait, a word of assurance that we can look to, perhaps even memorize for ourselves, verse 12. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase, its harvest. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. God is on the move. He will bless and he will revive. It's as if his righteousness creates a path going before him, the only way for him to go, and then he himself would follow right behind. He will be there himself to do the work. There you have it. Steps for revival. State God's work in the past. He's given us evidence of his promise of a new creation. Seek forgiveness. Are we living for the new creation promise and hope? Make the clear ask, in what ways might we need help to live for the new creation? And then listen to his word and trusting obedience while we wait. The Lord is committed to this new creation. We're given assurance and conviction to believe so that we too can recommit to him. And what's good about these steps is that they're quite simple and basic. When it's hard to do anything else, we have these basic things that we can do. Can I share with you what I love about this passage? (laughs) Of course, it doesn't matter what I think, but what I'm thinking is not going to help you as much as what God says here. But what I love about this psalm so much is is that it sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel, doesn't it? (laughs) But it promises you so much more than that, too. It speaks of material blessings, revival of the land, shalom restoration, which is whole body, whole community, whole land restoration. But our heads are being lifted to seeing so much more. We're guided to believe this word, this promise, this vision of God's glorious new creation for eternity, starting with us now. It does sound a lot like the prosperity gospel, right? For instance, some might be thinking, you know what, a a $1 million deal right now would help me out pretty nicely. (laughs) 
Well, what if that's too small a dream? And the bigger dream, that's not a $10 million or even a $100 million dream deal because some people operate at those levels, right? God can provide all of that tangibly for us. We could even ask him to do that, but the right perspective of new creation, it's not just about my kingdom here, but where we can fully expect so much more and live in this like position, this, mad, this place of mad abundance and not scarcity. That's where we're starting from. The promise is God's word to us. It's about who he is, and that's why it's so grand. But you know what? Because it is so grand, it is hard to believe, and to not believe it, that would be like a serious insult to him. That's why God calls for his people to seek forgiveness. Do we need forgiveness for living with a small vision of life? of my little piddly kingdom here in this short time on earth? We all need to hear these words because we all need to have our hearts calibrated to God, to have our heads lifted higher to God and his purposes as we start this new year. He's wanting so much more for us. So let me close by um, speaking to the person who needs to be revived, right? We get so locked in on our daily tasks, our responsibilities. On top of that, we're trying to put out fires. We have problems that overwhelm us. We're trying to be responsible. Can't control everything, though. But we're not veering from our course that we think we need to take. And then what happens? We miss out on the big picture. And we start to lose the plot. People get discouraged, disillusioned, riddled with anxiety. And that's just daily life, right? Throw in church. You want to serve. You're showing up each week, working out all the inconveniences of how to raise your kids in the faith, giving of our finances, making our lives just a little bit more inconvenient, serving without the thank yous, helping and not getting any kind of appreciation. Sometimes people just attack you when you're trying to do good, right? We're trying to do all these things, do our daily Bible reading to remain fixed in the truth. And you know what all those things are? New creation glories that feel like big inconveniences. You might get to the point where you feel like, uh, you know what, I'm done. I can't anymore. Uh, I can't try. I can't give. I can't care. So this is a word for those who are languishing while they're trying to be responsible, right? We don't want to live the way of folly, but it's like getting old, doing what we're doing for God. And if only these four steps could really help us, just follow these four steps, and then I'll get the blessing, right? But if you're like me, we want to remain committed, but we're also kind of afraid. I'm afraid to reclaim the vision of new creation. It seems so far off, and the path seems so hard to get. The changes that I need to make. And so all I have left at this point, there is no psychological rationale for what I'm about to say. Um, That when we've got no commitment left, the only thing that we do have left while we still have breath in us is knowledge of the God who kept his commitment to us. He kept his commitment when we couldn't. And this simply is how we make sense of why God made promises to us. This is the answer to our fallenness. It is new creation hope. 
That's why we would even ask forgiveness like the psalm instructs. See, our lack of heart and our lack of commitment, it deserved condemnation. It really did. Surprising to hear, right? But instead, what did we get? We got Jesus. He kept the commitment to the new creation for us. And his commitment to us is what will revive us. And this is not just good news for the first time, but this is good news for every time that I don't believe. I mean, if you're here with us and you're new and you've never believed or understood what the good news of Jesus is, I hope you'll, you, what you've heard, you've come to understand and you've come to get excited about, actually. You want to know more. Maybe you want to believe yourself. It is a, yeah, the faith, it is about rules and morality and obedience to God, God's commands. But none of that is to make us feel guilty and bad for ourselves. All of that is in this glorious framework of God's promises to make all things new, starting with us. Would you believe that? And if you would consider it, you will simply be joining all of us, right, who need to believe it again. We've been assured that we'll, what we'll find is Jesus moving towards us. That's verse 13, the memory verse of assurance. It comes to life for us. Righteousness will go before him. He will make his footsteps away. Jesus' footsteps making his way to us. That's when we can be revived, when we can start to breathe again in newness of life. That's the good news that we, as God's people, live by. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this word would have its effect on us, that, oh, Holy Spirit, you would take this word and press it upon our hearts to the point of belief and conviction. You also say in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Yes, new creation starts with Jesus. How faithfulness springs up from the ground. And we see that with Jesus and his own death and resurrection. He was revived. And so we know that when we believe, we too will be revived. Righteousness looks down from the sky. You, our Heavenly Father, saying, in Jesus, we are safe with you. And so we pray that this word would revive those who need reviving. Some of us physically need be, to be able to breathe better. We remember Deb and we remember Josh. And many of us need to be spiritually, emotionally, mentally revived. And we pray that you would do this work in us, that we would experience your commitment, even whatever material blessings we need, so that we would be reminded and committed of your new creation work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we're about to take part in communion where we're actually going to be holding